With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the King and AI podcast. My name's Kelly Cates and you'll be listening to my dad, uh, Kenny Dalglish, on this podcast and getting his thoughts on football issues about Liverpool, but also about other things as well. And the reason the podcast has come about is because of our family's charity, the Marina Dalglish Appeal, which was set up to raise money to help cancer patients and their families. So if you'd like to support that, that would be fantastic. As much as it's about raising awareness, it is also about the financial support, if possible. If you want to donate, you can go to anfieldindex.com slash MDA, or you can go to the Marina Dalglish Appeal website to find out a little bit more about the charity and the work that they do. It's worth having a read about. It's a really great charity and it's something that's very close to all our hearts. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm not Eddie Gibbs, who's away today, so you're stuck with me, Gag Standard, as your host for this show. This is the King and AI podcast, and we are back. But before we begin, as Kelly said in the opening, please do join the very, very kind Reds that have already donated to the Marina Dalglish Appeal by going to anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA. Anything you can afford will make a massive difference, so please do do that. Um, we really, we all of us really appreciate. It. So we're recording this after a bit of a tough week. A draw to Arsenal, lost to Red Star, but I'm sure the legend that I'm about to introduce will make you all feel better just by uttering a few words. I welcome back Sir Kenny Darglish. How are you, Sir Kenny, and how was your break? Yes, very, uh, very enjoyable. Uh, I missed Paul, mind you. That's a change. That's a change normally. (laughs) Just a wee bit much to go without him. But his mother, his mother really enjoyed it. (laughs) Very nice. And and you mentioned Paul. There's no king in AI without some darkly sunshine. The shine coming up from his head all the way from Miami Beach, Mister Paul Darkly. How are you doing, matey? Gags, gags. Don't try and be funny. It doesn't suit you. It's not. You're a giggler, guy. You're not a joke teller. Come I on, know, you're I an know. audience. I know, I am the audience, but I'll, I'll rely on you to tell the jokes today. Hey, we so, haven't podcasted for a while, have we? Us two. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> there we go. So we're cl- we're recording so close to the game. We thought we'd do something different. We're going to do some questions uh, from subscribers. They're special, and um, the first one. Kenny is for you, obviously, uh, Mr. Alex Mansfield. He has asked, "I'd like to get Kenny's take." on the most revolutionary football minds he's encountered, both players and managers? I would stick I would stick very closely to the managers. Okay. Um, because every time there's a bit of success, surely the manager deserves a bit of credit for being arguably revolutionary. If you look, when, when we started, uh, when Liverpool started to move forward and become a force, Shanks was a man that had stepped in there. And what he did was revolutionary. And what the staff continued to do from then on uh, through all the years of Shanks, who we've got to be grateful for and who should all bow down to because what he did uh, got 
the club where it is today. And without him, without the start that he gave us, I doubt if the club would have been where it is today and been the hearts of so many millions of people. But Shanks would start it off. Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan, Ronnie Moran, Roy Evans carried it on, passed it on to us. And when you came in, when by the time it was in motion and, and I was starting, I came into the club, everything was set in, in place. And it was, uh, you walked in the dressing room and you conformed to the dressing room. You did. There was nobody ever walked into the dressing room and tried to change it because you had no chance. Everybody else, uh, there was only two or three coming in a year, maximum signings. So when that happened, uh, they could, they would never. They just conformed with what the players were used to doing and what happened in there. And I think that's the way that they set up the training schedule, the notes they took, the diligent manner in which they prepared themselves for the match. Um, the relaxed way they did it, uh, and the, you not know, even realising half the things that they were doing were really effective and helpful to us. And uh, you go on to other people as well, Jockstein at Celtic, he revolutionised Celtic, uh, Don Reavy, he revolutionised um, Leeds, Fergie went in, uh, did unbelievable at Manchester United. There's some Matt Busby in Manchester United. There's a there's a, a a lot of people who have been revolutionaries, and I don't think uh, uh, I think you hear a lot of people speak now, and they 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 seem to think that because they they get you to eat your food properly, or because something else is done different to what it was years ago, it's revolutionary. I don't think it is. So for me that. People do a, a, a very, very good job. Um, but to cause a revolution, you need to be, you need to be making some huge changes. And I don't see a great deal of huge changes at the moment in football. Would you, who would you say in the modern era, Dad, would be kind of in that, you know, Ferguson's probably the most recent one you mentioned there, but who would you say of the current managers would? Well, I would have thought, uh, Jurgen. The way that he sets his teams up and gets them playing, but most of the principles uh, are the same. Uh, he's got a high, high energetic team that he wants to work hard and wants to compete everywhere, all over the pitch, close people down. Um, I think Pep Guardiola, very similar at Man City. He wants to get attack everybody and and get as many goals as he can. Uh, for his team and he's like if he scores enough they're not going to lose so for me they're the two that are whose teams I enjoy watching most at the moment and you know, I watched a game the other night there well, just to start the second half PSG and Napoli and I'll tell you Napoli didn't have to turn it on for 15-20 minutes in the second half PSG P- yeah. I mean it's it's people that make it more than the managers but uh, the managers they give the license to play the way that they think. And I think from a manager's point of view, Jurgen and Pep Guardiola are the two ones I would say at the moment are revolutionary. <laughs> Pep might just be following on to what happened at Barcelona when he was a player and the principles and beliefs there and he's taking that into management. They're always looking for a new line, aren't they? But the new line's got to be successful. And all these people have have been so a success in the past. 
So, Funny that I was having a, I was having a beer with uh, Gary Bailey. Uh, uh, we were watching the Champions League games during the week, and and we were talking about uh, football back then and football now. And he said to me, he said it's, he said it's amazing. But Barcelona were on. He had Barcelona's laptop. We had another game on the on the TV, and he said Liverpool played the way Barcelona played now but back then and he said look I have no idea how Liverpool did it because the pitches back then were nothing like what they are now and that when the winter months started coming um, when the winter months started coming that some of the pitches were, were very very difficult to play on but Liverpool still managed to play the same way when a lot of the other teams in, in England um, were were playing direct and and he said to me he said look that was so to your basically what I'm trying to get at, Dad, is that do you feel that a lot of things that people may find revolutionary have been done in the past with a different name? But well, well, I think they use it. They lose They use a lot of different names for simple things like transition. I, I think that's just a change of possession, isn't it? Yeah. So they're just they, different words coming. Aye, the game's no, it's not going, people's philosophies and ideas and how to play the game will have changed. But the, the, the game's the same, isn't it? It's still 11 against 11. It's still, the ball's still round. Still got a referee, it's still same decisions and you score more goals than somebody else, it's, it's, uh, you're going to win. But I think the revolutionaries are the ones that, that have made changes. Mm. To the norm, and when if you can't compete with a team that that pass and move, then you've got to find an alternative. And even the boys at Wimbledon, when they started the long ball, um, by the way, I would have said they were revolutionaries as well, but not fashionable. You know, it, it, that's, well, it's, that's it's fashionable. Thing. Paul's not fashionable if they beat you. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I was but if they play within yeah. the rules, it doesn't matter how. No, they play. I, I, I'm, but what I'm, Dad, I'm not saying not fashionable in a bad way. I'm saying that what's happened in football, in my opinion, now, and I don't know. You can tell me if it was like this when, when, when you were kind of younger back when you were playing, or but it it almost seems now that it's not enough to win games. If if you take Liverpool and Manchester United as a, as an example, Manchester United finished second last year. And Liverpool finished fourth, but Manchester United won trophies the year before as well. We we didn't. But if you if you would have listened to the media and the public and read on social media in the off season this year, Liverpool were about to take on the world, and Manchester United were 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 uh, absolutely dreadful, and. If you take into if you if you do a points total from the beginning of last season until today, we have one more point than Manchester United combined. And if you think about the 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 public, the public kind of um, perception of both teams, it's great to be a Liverpool fan at this moment in time. And that is for me down to two things: is the our manager in press conferences. Is very very likable, and gets a lot of goodwill from the club. And the style that our manager plays has got us a lot of people that admire the way that we play. And 
I I think that I think that now in today's football, Dad, it's it's almost as important what you say in a press conference, or you play a fashionable style of football, revolutionary, modern, whatever you want to call it, than 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 winning. I don't think winning's enough. If even if you look at Sam Allardyce, Everton, you know they finished in eighth under Sam Allardyce, but people didn't want to. He didn't get the goodwill either. Well, it's a bit perception as well. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, Jürgen doesn't go in and pick fights with, with anybody in a press conference. He doesn't go and pick fights with players. If he's got something that he say to the player, 99 times out of 100, he'll say it privately and that'll be the end of it and nobody will get to know anymore. Um, whereas a lot of well, not a lot, but some stuff that's happened at Manchester United has been has been in the public domain, well discussed, well versed, and it's the perception that you have that you can't tell me Jurgen's no giving some of the players a bollocking. Mm-hmm. But he's done it properly. He's kept it indoors, kept it in house, and it's no, it's it's he's a different personality to to Mourinho. But mm-hmm. um, Mourinho also has been. Hugely successful in the clubs that he's been at. But do you know what's funny? Do you know what's funny? You'd say that Mourinho, Klopp, and Guardiola are probably the three highest profile managers at this moment in time, or three, definitely in England anyway. And they all play a different style. Uh, Jose plays uh, quite defensive. You know, Guardiola plays quite offensive in in his way with with possession based football, and and Jurgen plays more. Uh, pressing, counter pressing type of football. So maybe all three of them have, if if you want to call it revolutionary, or if you don't want to use that word, then then that's fine. But they've all been hugely successful in different ways. So maybe they, maybe they found a way to be revolutionary with their style of play in the modern era. Well, to be successful, you've got to be good. Yeah, and you've got yeah. to have, you've either got to inherit it. And, Inherit the players, yeah. uh, which you're very fortunate if you've done. But you've still then got to prepare them. You've got to pick teams. You've got to uh, <laughs> set them up properly to win games. And that result that United got the other night there, Madrid. Oh, um, no, Juventus. Juve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That will fill them with a bit of optimism going into yeah. the derby at the weekend. But whether whether they win the match or no remains to be seen. But it would be a wee bit more positive and optimistic at Old Trafford because of that. But that might only last to the weekend. Oh, their fans, their fans are already uh, very optimistic and unbearable again. So <laughs> Here's the way well, I look at it. it. Maybe not. Maybe revolution is right, not the right word, but I think because there's normally, obviously, the, the fitness has advanced and the, the, the speed of the game has, has advanced. Uh, but there's not too many new things that you see tactically. So maybe it's rather than saying who's the most revolutionary in today's game, it's maybe saying who's the most competent. At well, what I they think do. You, you can say that the uh, the games or the players are quicker oh. and the players are fitter. Well, why can they not play the same number of games as we played? For that reason. No, for what reason? They're because supposed they, to be better they have to cover more ground. No, they don't need to cover more ground. Perform more sprints. I, I, I would, I would, I would 
Liverpool won the championship, I think it was 89 or something, and we only used 14 players. And they players, apart from club appearances, they were also internationalists, most of them. So how can they do that in a season? And and nowadays, nowadays after two or three games, they're needing a rest. Because the uh, for me, the intensity of the games, the amount of sprints you perform damages the body more. Even though nah. you recover better, but Paul, Paul, Even they're supposed to be they're supposed to be better, better you are, educated, you are, fitter. You are, but they're supposed but here's the to be thing. fitter. Here's the other thing: you played with injuries. Yeah. You played with injuries. That's not you would play. That. You would play if you're injured. Right. Today, today players don't play injured. Well, they don't play deserve football either, do they? No. So, it's, so when it's, when they come in, when they come in to play a game uh, after being out for three, four weeks. You, it's it's understandable that it takes them about a, a, a wee while to settle yeah. and get themselves up to speed that with works. the game. And by the time they get themselves up to speed, because they've not played the games, they're getting taken off because somebody will think they're tired. Yeah. No, they're, they're, what they're trying to do... It's, if you, they if are fatigued. You tell them, it's more they're trying to prevent injuries, Dad, because of Paul, the, the, the explosion. If you tell them... Well, we get injuries as well. If you tell them they're tired and they think they're tired, they'll be tired. No, there is, there is, there is, yeah, don't look at that fire. The first thing you want to do is look at the fire, but the, the, there is, there is a part of it that, you know, don't put, don't put anything in the mind, but there is undoubtedly more stress put on the body now when you play a game of football than what but Paul was. what would you say about the counter of um, that there's more there's more um, you know there's more things to support players now there's more the, the, the technology's gone better you know the, to help them to support them and that wasn't there in the past either or, or... that's it the recovery's better and, right. and there'd be even more injuries if there was if it wasn't Paul how can the recovery be better if they can't play games what do you mean they can't play games well they don't play the number of games that they played what? Dad, if you 80s, could, if you 90s. could, if you could get, a, if, and I don't know if there's anybody ever done it, if you could get a device and track how far somebody ran in a game in even the nineties compared to now, and how many, how many, how much distance they covered at high intensity over a certain over over whatever sprint speed is, you would find that the numbers every ten years go up. Well. Let me and, tell you another thing. That you're at more high risk to get injured when you perform more sprints. And what football, what's the biggest change in footballers? People are performing more sprints. Okay. But, and that's when you're at highest risk of injury. That's why they, there's more injuries. They also have, uh, what is it seven subs? You're, yeah, there's seven subs, three. All right. What did they have in the eighties and the nineties? One. But dad, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but, so, so the person that was on the pitch but was covering more ground. You take that. You can pick out somebody that's ran twelve thousand kilometers, right? You right. pick them out. But you wouldn't. When when you go back to eighties and nineties, they could have been running further than that, and there'd be a lot more people running. For you pick four or five out, they had to run. Now you've got people that don't have to run because you know their subs coming on. Or if they reach a figure, they say, oh, we better take him off, he might get injured. But, but you, here's a counter-argument. Maybe people, because there wasn't subs, paced themselves in games. 
Whereas now people, while there's no subs, don't pace themselves as much. And if someone yeah. fatigues, they fatigue. And 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 that's that's Paul, that, 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 there's friend, no listen, there's no friend, there is no friend. there is no there is no way you can convince me that players cover the same amount of distance now as they did twenty, thirty years ago. Paul, or perform the same you, amount of sprints. Let me tell you, some of them they cover the ground going after the first touch. That that's a different argument. All I'm talking about, and we've gone off on a tangent as yeah. usual, <laughs> is is that people perform more sprints, which puts them at higher risk of injury. What which I'll is do why is you get we'll more try injuries. And, I'll try and see Paul and, and Sakani if I can try and get any numbers on this for next week or the week after. I'll try and see if there's anything out there. Do some research for you, and I'll come back and see if there's anything out there. But it's a very hard thing to do uh, because obviously it's all done by technology now uh, on players, which is which is what tracks it. But if there is anything, I'll, I'll come back. I think I think we're not going to get an agreement between you both. So let's move on to the next question <laughs> from Edit Carl Sakani again for you from an ex-player and manager point of view. How do you cope? with the pressure of high expectation when you are in a team like Jürgen is uh, that are fighting for every silverware, any result that is not a win is taken as a big blip. So how can you help the players cope with that pressure? Well, surely the players want to be successful. Yeah. Well, if you want to be successful, you're going to bring yourself a wee bit, certain amount of pressure, pressure on yourself. And surely they, they want to go onto the pitch and win as many games as they can. Well, that's, that's pressure. I'll tell you something. If you're at the top end of the table and you think that's pressure, I would like to know from someone who's been at the top and also at the bottom to tell me which ones get the most pressure. Because I would have thought being at the bottom trying to avoid relegation is more stressful Absolutely. than being at the top going for a title. Of course you get nervous before you play a game. You're supposed to get nervous. I, 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 just, I just don't see how... Um, how you can, if you play football, you take pride in your own appearance, pride in your club, and you're, you're trying to be successful. Of course, you'll get press, there'll be pressure. There's pressure in every job. That can answer you, a question. It's how you been, manage it. It's how you uh, manage it that, sh- that counts. Have you ever been, uh, what's the closest you've ever been to, cause I'm trying to think. Have you oh, ever, no, Paul? I think you should try and think more often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't suit me. But the uh, what's the closest? What's the closest you've been to to like even to a relegation battle? Because uh, I'm I'm thinking Blackburn, Liverpool, never, uh, Celtic, never, Newcastle, Newcastle. Where did, no, but you finished. Where 13. did you finish? Thirteen. So, so never really. Thirteenth, and we got to the cup final. So I I've been. At the bottom of tables, <laughs> <laughs> I've been down there. I've not. Been, I've been at. The, I've been close to the top as well at, at times. But the, the uh, it's certainly not nice, Dad. I tell you, it's it's not nice because you, you know, it's there's an embarrassment as well. You know, mm. from from being yeah. down there. But obviously, obviously, there's somebody got to be down there. Yeah, and if if you take pride in in yourself and your your work and your respect yeah. for your club and uh, the people that come and watch it, then I think that would be more stressful than being at the other end. If you don't, if you're not successful when you're fighting at the top end, obviously there's going to be huge disappointment. But that's natural. Yeah. But it shouldn't make you afraid. You've got a better chance of being, you've got a better chance of being disappointed if you let the 
if you let the, the situation get to you. Here's a couple of tangents for this question. One is, uh, do you, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to, one of the, in cup finals, Dad, you hear the stories about European cup finals, um, about managers calling a meeting the night before the game and taking certain players down and letting them have a drink and saying, look, to relax them before a game, you hear about comedians on, on the bus going to, to cup finals or different things that, that people do. When you played in the European Cup final, you all started singing in the, in the tunnel. Yeah. Um, do you think, do you think that some, some managers maybe go in the wrong direction by trying to motivate people for a big game? Rather than try to relax people for a big game. No, I, I think the manager does what he thinks is correct, and what what might be more suited. But it's amazing, isn't it? It's always after the one that they tell you they've done something. Like mm. they have a comedian on the bus, or they they don't tell you what they did when they lost. Yeah, they don't say, yeah. "Well, oh, uh, we never had a comedian on the bus. That's why we lost." <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 because I'm just trying to think it's of my own Paul, experience and, and I'm just trying to pick in your it's brain. All psycho, it's all psychology. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's different with different teams as well, isn't it? Because some personalities within yeah, the team. Some people, some people are laid back and need motivated. Some players are, some players are, are kind of nervous and need relaxed and you've got to have a, and you can't have a one size fits all to, Paul, to people with be, different personalities. It would be the same if, they, if you say the manager says on Friday night you want a drink. Somebody will go, yeah, some will say, no, I don't want a drink. So it's never going to suit everybody. Mm. And this, and with a comedian on the bus, I'm sure some people would be on the bus saying, oh, I wish you'd shut up. Yeah, I want to concentrate. Just let me concentrate on the game. game. Yeah, ha- yeah, yeah. Half the lads nowadays wouldn't, he- wouldn't hear them anyway because they've all got their headphones on. So, like, and that's another thing as well, is that you think that that individualizes a team more than unites a team. Well, the headphones on the bus. But I think preparation has got to be partly down to the individual. Yeah. Right? You've got to prepare as a team, obviously, but different people prepare in different ways. And if that's mm-hmm. what, what it takes for them to turn on a performance, headphones on, fine. But, I mean, it'd be interesting. I don't even know what's on the headphones, if it's just music or... <laughs> It's like the golfers when they're practicing. They're listening the to you. They're listening to you, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Well, by the way, when they never that won't relax when, me. I tell you, that certainly wouldn't have relaxed uh, me. When they never had, when they never had headphones on, or motivated on, me. When they never had headphones on and I was working, they never listened to me then. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've got, a, I've got, I've got something for you, Paul. You know what? There's something what? just coming from a subscriber, Mohammed Kedar. You're talking about preparation there. How important? He's asking. How important is an assistant manager? So, Paul, you've just won pretty much every level that you were that you were in, in with Miami, right? So, how important is your number two in command, and uh, and and what what do they do like for you? I think he's just really interested in finding out what a number two does for a manager. Every number two is different, right? Uh, and I think my dad will will kind of second this, but every every number two is different. And and nowadays you don't just have a number two; you have a number two, three, four, and five, uh, depending on what club you're at. Uh, oh, yeah, wow. There's a team of there's a team of staff, so you might have an assistant coach, a coach, a goalkeeper coach, 
uh, a fitness coach, an analyst, a psychologist. I mean, the list goes on of, of the positions that can be that can be filled. And, and one of the most important things you've got to do as a head coach, manager, as my dad was, is is know what you can and can't do. So if if I'm a if I'm a tactical guy, but I'm not a man manager, then I might want to get somebody in who can manage the players and go round and, and make the players feel good about themselves. If I'm a man manager, but I'm not much of a coach, then I might want to go and employ a coach and I'll manage the group. So it, I think it, I think you can be successful as a manager in many different ways, but you, you, your staff that you put around you have to complement and hide your deficiencies, really. And there's no... You, you've got to be confident enough to 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 go. I can't do that. I need to bring somebody in that can do that for me, and then everybody's successful. Wow! Can Would you, you agree that? Yeah, yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Uh, you identify your weaknesses, and you get the best possible person in to help you when you're weak. And you're only you're only ever going to be strong as your weakest man. And there's no need and there's no reason why you wouldn't get the best in. A lot of people don't like to get the best in to fill their weak point because they might be, they're afraid that he might take over his job. But yeah. I'll tell you, if you've got a guy that's really good at coaching, if that was your weakness, and you're successful, you'll not be taking over any job. But if you get a bad coach in, you're going to be looking for a job as well. Yeah. The other, the other, the other thing as well, Dad, I would say is, some people are scared to allow the staff to to do the jobs. You know, if you're going to bring somebody in that's really good at what they do, let them do it. Yeah, but, Don't but interfere. Also, also, Paul, what you've got to do at the same time is mm -hmm. make sure the people that you bring in, right, when they are doing a good job, they don't overstep the mark either. No. You respect them for what they do, and that's what they do. You can add your tuppence worth in private, but when you're, you've got the game going and everybody's together, they can't eat, they cannot in any way, shape or form undermine the manager. Mm. And similarly, <laughs> the manager can't undermine them. Dad, I've, I agree. I'm just back to the original thing about uh, pressure of expectation. I've got a question, Dad, and it's relevant to, it's using your experience to, to kind of, to, to look at Liverpool's team at the moment. And basically, when I look at Liverpool's team at the moment, I think there's there's only James Milner that's won the, the Premier League. And there's probably, I don't know, two or three others that have won a major, a major, a major league championship. Um, so what I want to say to you is, did you, is there a benefit to having won it before? I'm specifically was going to ask about how how was it when you got close to winning at a Blackburn and you were you've got ten games left and all of a sudden you're like oh, we've got a chance of winning this compared to being at Liverpool where you had a team full of players that have won it before going into the last ten games of the season was there a was there a calmness or a a, a kind of a kind of we've done this before we know how to do it again with Liverpool or does it not really make a difference? Um, Liverpool normally had it won 10 games ago <laughs> well, <maybe laughs> but, but obviously 
having been there before, right, you know you've been through it before, so you've got a wee bit of knowledge of what that's about. Mm. But when it's your first time, of course you're nervous. But you can be nervous, but still responsible. And it, it must be more nerve-wracking when you haven't won it before and you're coming up for your first one because you're moving into a little bit of uncertainty. With, with the ones that have been through it before, because they've been through it before, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win again. Hmm. So you've got every chance, every much of, as good a chance as somebody that's won it 10 times and you've never won it at all. There was named that Blackburn never, had ever won the league. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. You go through, I don't think there was, was there? I don't think so. Off the top of my head, probably be 100% wrong, but never mind. I don't think there was. But they had the belief. Had David Batty won it or at Leeds before he came to you? With Gary Mack and uh... Lee Gordon? I don't know. Gary Speed? Don't know. I think he did. I think that might have been the only one. But Sherwood, but... Wilcox, Ripley, Shearer, Sutton, Lasseau, Berg, Shearer. Shit, no. Tim Flowers. I think I think David oh. Bathy might have been the only one. So it was the same as Liverpool now with uh, with Milner. Well, it doesn't mean to say you can't win it. No. No. How many no. how many had won it when Man City won it? No, I'm looking at Leicester. The first time. Leicester. I don't think Leicester, yeah. Yeah. So That's what I don't know. No, but matter. what I would say is, what I, would, I think... Uh, David Batty definitely won the league, you're right, Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, good knowledge, eh? Not bad, not bad. Good knowledge, <laughs> there he you must go. Have been, See, he must have had that conversation with somebody a couple of days ago. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't, but I was just, I was thinking because, for a change, but I was just thinking, like, is it, sometimes ignorance is bliss and you don't feel the pressure and, and, and I guess that's down. To the manager and, and the, the, the individuals. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess it's different it's for different the individuals teams. individuals as well. But yeah. by the way, all you can do is try your best and mm. you go, you get yourself in, if you've got an opportunity to win the league, you've done brilliantly to get yourself in that position in the first place. So, yeah. don't be afraid of it. Be proud of what you've done and take the confidence and belief from what you've done yeah. and try and go and finish it off. But did you did you sense nerves at the end at Blackburn in the dressing room? Did you feel? Did you kind of because yeah, the, the the games were kind of tense at the end, weren't they? And that's normal. But I'd won it before. Yeah. Right, and I was still nervous. Yeah. I don't think Barty ever get nervous. No. He just never bothered. But um, as I say, you do get nervous, but there's nothing wrong with nerves. No, nerves show you care. That's what I say. Well, I show don't you care. know. And you I can, but there's nothing wrong with it. But it's like everything else; it's got to be managed. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. I've got another one for you. This one is from Callum Munsakeni. Uh, what are Sir Kenny's thoughts on a potential Super League? That's what Bayern Munich recently have been talking about, getting all the big clubs together into a league of their own, and then, or oh, and financial fair play as a whole, as it seems to all it seems to do is prevent any smaller clubs ever breaking into the Euro- European elite. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if I take the second one first. I don't know yeah. of any club that's ever won a league or a, a cup um, when they've no spent money. Mm. Um, and the good, 
the good clubs are the ones that uh, spend uh, less than what they've brought in. I mean, if you spend more than what you bring in, you're going to be in trouble. And if there's going to be, if there's going to be a, a financial fair play, then surely they've got to adhere to that. That if they go over and above whatever the rules and regulations are, then there's got to be a punishment. And it's not just a punishment uh, uh, for people who have won the league, uh, and it's not a claim from people who have finished second and third. What about the people, if you break the financial fair play rules, what about the people that have been relegated? You know, they, they, they've lost a lot of money as well. So there's got to be, there's got to be some, if they put a rule in place, they, they should adhere to it. But there's no point in putting rules in place if you're not going to have suitable punishment for what if you, anybody what, who breaks it. What if you broke financial fair play rules to your point to sign somebody? Off a team who then got relegated. Well, this Paul, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, ifs and buts and maybes and yeah. what ifs, but the rules are there. It tells you whatever it is financially, you can't overspend or, and there's going to be a punishment. Now, finding them isn't a punishment. But the, the problem they've got in trying to control what their income is, is you, there is no limit. And they cannot limit the clubs to secondary sponsors. So you've got a, you've got a group, you've got your shirt sponsor, you've got the sponsors on your sleeve, but you, you they can't they can't stop you having two boards full of secondary sponsors. If you get somebody like said um, somebody owns a club and they're also very wealthy mm-hmm. and they're handing out contracts in their other walk of life, mm-hmm. they can say, well, you've got a two hundred million pound contract here to build a railway line or something, but out of that, I want you to sponsor the club for four years and twenty grand a year for second response. How did he stop that? If you get ten of them, yeah, and that's pretty much what what the the allegations are that you know there's I there's, don't know. there's yes Manchester City apparently and PSG basically their owners are you know getting sponsors in. But then paying the sponsors to sponsor them, kind of thing. Do you get what I mean? So that well, that's 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 where they're saying it's it's getting a bit dodgy, so to speak. Well, well, I don't know because um, if if they if they have overspent, I don't know if they have or what rules are broken. But they do have to be punished. Hmm. And if they want to get a super league, if together, they've broken a rule, yes, if, if they've broken a rule, that's what yeah, I said. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if and if they're trying to get a super league together, what's going to be the promotion and relegation? Who's going to who's going to come in for the for the the Premier League? And why why really does the Premier League need it if they're talking purely football? Maybe financially they'll get more money in. Yeah. But how much money does anybody need? Does it improve the product? I don't know. Maybe be maybe bottom four, five or, or six teams. Yeah, you could maybe get a wee bit better uh, quality opposition than that. But then, how do they work out the promotion and relegation? There's got to be promotion and relegation. Or yeah. it just dies a day. It just dies. Yeah. 
and Paul, you're fighting that. You, we've had a whole podcast about that, haven't we? In, in the in, in the US and soccer, so US soccer, so you're you're well well versed in that one. Okay, let's move uh, on. Let's go to a question from Gummel. So, Kenny, what was the process when it came to recruitment during your second term at LFC? Uh, did Damien Kamori recommend players, uh, and then did he discuss them with you, or did you give Damien a list of players? How did it work? Um. Well, you have a certain, a certain amount of knowledge myself on players because although you're not working, you still watch football on the telly. Uh, it's better than some of the soaps, so might as well watch the football and keep an interest, keep your hand in. Uh, but Damien, Damien was, uh, obviously he had players also that the club had been watching with Roy, uh, and before that. And, uh, I was privy to what the, list and what the comments were of the players that he had the list of. Um, also, I had my own list and they put the two together. Uh, I'd go and have a look at maybe some of the people he'd he'd put forward and I'd go and look at the list that I had and the names I had in my own mind and at the end of the day uh, I would pick the player and he would be the one that would come in or if anybody was coming in. Uh, Damien never ever push forward a player, uh, and forced them, forced them to c- come on board with my, my 100% agreement. So for me, uh, no being, um, what, uh, naughty and describing the, 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 the job. It's a, the title is called Director of Football, but for me, uh, the only thing that was different between that and when I was there the first time was the title of the person who was scouting the players, um, and that was, um, he was a chief scout, and the modern day term was a Director of Football, or a Sporting Director. Um for me, he was invaluable because he negotiated the players' contracts. Uh, he did the financials. And all I did was choose a player that, that I wanted to come in. Um, and saying that right after the first game, came back after the Man United game at Old Trafford into the office. And Damien said, uh, just two minutes, he said, we need a coach. I said, okay, he gave me a couple of names. Take Stevie. Clark and Stevie was there the next day to start work. Um, I also mentioned a couple of players. Uh, Suarez was one, and I said, just sign him. I said, I've seen him play umpteen times on the television with Ajax. Just sign him. Love it. And Absolutely. he went away and got it. So Damien was very, very oh, helpful and mm. and um, uh, watching players, bringing players' names back to us asking me to go and have a look at the players either on tape or uh, live and then it's whatever whoever you, you picked he would try and go and get for you wow no that that might not be how everybody's director of football or football director whatever they call it work right but that's definitely how Damien worked with me but dad like everything um, the number one target you don't always get, you know, so you can, no. and that, uh, so it's, 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 uh, what people maybe don't see at the back end is 
that it's not always who you want to sign. It, as you say, Dad, all the time, it's who wants to sign for you. Yeah, but, but and, that's, and that's the most important but, part of recruitment. Yeah, but that's that's um, that's definitely what they're accusing some of the directors of football are doing. Yeah, I mean that that happens to anybody. If yeah. the guy doesn't want to come, or his wife doesn't want to come, then yeah. you're not going to sign him, are you? No, and that's, that's the, different. Yeah. That's a different discussion to what it is when you're saying uh, they were interfering and they, the players that they wanted they came in, and for Damien. I would I would stick up two hundred percent from because he never ever did that with me. No, I agree, but I just from and I, I obviously we're not going to go into names, but just from my point of view, I know players that have been wanted, so to speak. But then at the end of the day, they if they don't want to come, that you've got to you've got to move on to the oh I the next yeah. the next one on the yeah. list oh, yeah. yeah, and that's it. Because so like some but, of the players that. You know, and it would be exciting to to have seen some of the players, but that's you know, at the time when you were at Liverpool, Dad, Liverpool wasn't as an attractive place for for players to come. There's no, I don't think there's any harm in saying that as it is now. I think it's well, one of the most attractive places to come. Whereas when you were there, it it wasn't. It wasn't a place where well, where people were 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 as keen to come to as they are now. Oh, but what you do is you you draw up your list for mm. a certain position uh, you go for your number one target if you don't get that you go for your number two yeah and by the way you don't need to have five and six for each position no because if you don't reach a quality that you think that you really need you don't bring them yeah because there's no point replacing somebody with the same they've got to improve no. what you've currently got or there's no point spending money correct and uh, so, Kenny, while you're, whilst you're at this one, what was the differences in signing a player in 1988 to 2012? This comes in from Kieran. Well, I don't know what you mean, differences. Like, was there a difference in how you recruited a player, or was it exactly the same, what you did? What was done? No, I... Well, you scout the player first. Yeah. I mean, and that's exactly the procedure that I was telling you that went through with Amy. So, so there's no change really. The first time around, yeah. the first time around, I, I had to look at them as well. And right. you've got greater access to them now. Mm. So much coverage of football that you see, Why see, you see people. Start all different, all different, um, programs that you can, you can watch players in and, and, uh, you can watch games from all over the world now without leaving the house uh, or the office. But uh, here's what one thing that I, you'd maybe think of, Dad. There was no signing a player, I would say, I would imagine takes a lot longer now to for the contracts to be negotiated because the the contracts I would say are a lot more complicated now than what they were when you were at Liverpool the first time with image rights and, and different things how contracts are broken down for wages image rights different would things imagine, would that be fair I would imagine that would be the case I but I never go I never get involved in the financial discussions with players um, if the club come and said to me yeah, you've got a couple of million quid you want to go and buy a player then fine Damien would then go out and try and get with the wages uh, get it uh, get it agreed with the player or, or no agreed so I mean it still came down to the bit where you don't always get who you want well that was, that sometimes, was the... sometimes it's finance that stops it 
Yeah, that's it. That's what I was going to say. That what I didn't really understand. Um, obviously, I, I understand it now, but maybe it fans as well. And I think Liverpool fans are quite educated when it comes to this because we've got a lot of people that that, that produce really detailed content on on the financial breakdown of of uh, of the way football works. But if, if somebody was a ten million pound transfer fee, and they were on twenty thousand. They're on twenty thousand pound for five years. Then that's fifteen million. So you've got to do half again in terms of wages. If if they were on forty thousand pound, then that's ten million in wages, ten million on a transfer fee. And and sometimes the higher the wages, the less the transfer fee costs because the the there's less teams that can afford them, and the current team just wants them off the wage bill. So it's it's. When wages aren't public, it's very, very difficult to know exactly how much the, the total deal for a player is. And, and in a lot of cases, the wages can add up to more than the transfer fee. And, and that's normally, as you said, Dad, where a lot of the bigger name transfers that you want to go after that fall through normally come down to because the club, unless you're a superpower, aren't in the position to pay the wages for, for, for the best players. Um, it probably can be it can stop for many reasons. Yeah, even as I said earlier, if it, if somebody's not happy about coming to live in the district, whether it's a player or his wife, if the wife mm-hmm. says, "Oh, I want to go and live in London," I don't want mm-hmm. to come to the northwest. Then fine. I mean, what what can you do? You can't you can't relocate to London just because the player's wife wants to live there. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's there's a lot of things that that stop transfers going through. Mm. Um, and now, nowadays it's even possible that it could be uh, the agent no happy with, with what he was being paid unbelievable yeah. unbelievable and well, Dad, the other the other thing as well is the, things, the mm. other thing is the amount of tax that is taken off the player in that country wow you know because in in, in different countries have different tax rates ah. so many factors so, there yeah. yeah but there's always been there's always been that with players because the movement in and around Europe and uh, uh, further afield is uh, is a lot more prevalent now mm. then you do get more and more in, uh, issues coming in uh, to make it to make it more difficult or uh, less less of an opportunity for you to get the guy in and the tax would come into it um, there's a lot of things you'll bring into it but as I say, it's, that's why it's best just to leave it and let people who have that as an education or have that as a 40 to go and, and discuss it and either agree or otherwise. And you can just sit there. You, your expertise is in football, mm. judging mm. somebody's ability to play. No no judging somebody's worth for for his wages. So <laughs> let, if everybody does their own job and doesn't cross over, um, then you've got a better chance of being successful. Well, to link back to your original point, that, uh, sorry, to to a previous question about the assistant coach, mm. you need to bring in somebody that you need to bring in somebody that can do what you can't do. It's the same thing with the person that works above you, who's negotiating these deals. You've got to make sure that you're compatible with that person as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I say, I don't think it's rocket science. No. The more people that work at the club, 
who do a good job in their respective field, the better chance you have of being successful at your football club. Agreed, yeah. Absolutely I'm no danger. I'm a, we're lucky at the moment, Dad. There's a lot of good people at the club. Oh, the, Paul, our club's flying. Mm-hmm. Our club's in, in, in an excellent position at yep. the moment. Okay, we got, we, let's finish this pod on a real, real light note, real light note. So, Jed Folk asks you, Sakeli, strangest pre-match player ritual that you've witnessed during your playing or managerial career, whether it's a, a Liverpool player or opposition. Oh, well, I wouldn't know the oppositions, would I? True. Because yeah. I wouldn't have been addressing it, yeah, only be here, <laughs> That's right. Um, so, no, we, obviously, Bruce Grover, who's I think he's got a book out at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce was a, apart from being an excellent goalkeeper, he was a bit of a character as well. And he used to have a wee, uh, I don't know if Fritchell's the right word, but it was preparation for the game. He used to get the ball and there was a light switch. He just pressed up or down um, to put the light on or off. So obviously in the dressing room the lights were on. So he used to like just bounce the ball and let a half volley or drop it and volley it. And it had to hit the switch and put the light off um, or on, whatever it was, uh, before he could move on to the next stages, getting prepared for the match. So we went to play at, at Wimbledon, at Plough Lane, and Bobby Gould was the manager. And he said, uh, oh, he said, I've done you there. He said, before the game, we went in for a drink afterwards. I says, well, I don't know what you're on about, Bob. He says, oh, he says, the light switch. I said, yeah. He says, well, we we put the switch, we took the switch off and just put a cover over it. So that the light was going to be permanent, whether we did switch it on or switch it off. You couldn't, you couldn't reverse it. He said, so we just put a plain cover on it. I said, oh, very good. I don't know. What's your point, caller? He said, well, he said, Grobler, as part of his routine before the game, used to volley the ball off it to knock the switch on or off. I said, ah. he said, I said, he does, yeah. He said, well, I just thought it maybe upset my wee bit. I said, Bob, you've lost the game 2-1, right? And I'll tell you something else. He only did. He only does it at home. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Love it. That is great. So that was, <laughs> that was it. A legend. Aye. And, then, oh, and uh, Ronnie Whelan used to be sick before again. Oh wow! Really? Uh, uh, his wife was a good cook as well. But he was always <laughs> sick. <laughs> Paul, did you see anything when in your playing days or as a manager? Have you seen any uh, interesting rituals, mate? No, I mean I've seen. You see that some people, some people put the 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 socks on a certain foot first. Uh. Or there was the there was a guy over here that plays, and he always wears his shorts back to front. Goes out on the pitch with his shorts back to front for the game, and you see. I mean, you see enough. You have some people that. The some of the coaching staff want to have a drink, you know, for good luck before the game. Or yeah, there's there's all different things that go on. Um, but it, the the worst ones are the guys that don't change the shin pads for for don't 
wash the shin pads or wear the same shin pads or create any stink. As you don't <laughs> want to be sat next to them. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but no, but it's... Uh, there's That's really, probably I mean, why Ronnie was feeling sick. I didn't wear shin pads, so it couldn't be me. <laughs> no, but there's some... like the, so You've got to be careful because there's... Uh, some of them you you don't... Some of them I've got to stay in the dressing room. So you've got to, uh, but the, the, <laughs> there's some, there's certainly some people that do different things before games. You know, see, see before a game, uh, when Bob Paisley was manager. Yeah. I mean, we never went on the pitch or anything beforehand and the warm ups weren't great. Um, they, they could go and watch, uh, in the players' lounge, you could watch the race. Right. If it was a, a, a sprint race, like five furlongs or something, they could even watch the race start at half two or 25 to three and be in in time. And old Bob would be with them watching the racing. And they'd leave the players' lounge, walk up and start getting ready for the game. Yeah. But, and it wasn't frowned upon, Bob. No. I mean, Bob wouldn't cut, he wouldn't frown upon it because he was there as well. He had well. money on it. Aye. <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they've now got the TVs in the dressing room though haven't they so no, but they couldn't put horse racing on in the dressing room uh, mind well, you depends mind you they might have yeah yeah there you go there you go thank you so much guys I think it's probably a good ideal place to draw close to this episode of The King and AI I have to say uh, a massive massive honour for me to host both of you. Um, thank you so much, so Kenny. This is also like, uh, it's five years this week to the AI podcast actually becoming a podcast as well. So it's been five years. So very nice to speak to you on that time at five years. But, um, oh, I just happy birthday. Ah, thank you very much. <laughs> so just wanted to say thank you so much to both of you, uh, for, for spending the time and, uh, really, really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. Not a problem. Excellent. And you subscribers and listeners, please, 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 please do go and donate to uh, the Marina Dog Appeal. We would really appreciate it. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA. And also, also, there's uh, another way you can help. And we're going to close the show uh, as uh, Kelly Cates comes and tells you exactly what you can do. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. There is one more thing that you could do, but it doesn't really require any effort. If you use Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.co.uk, there's an option to select a charity. If you select the Marina Dalgleish appeal, then every time you make a purchase at Amazon, they will make a donation to the charity. All you have to do is use smile.amazon.co.uk as your website to buy things from Amazon. It should, in theory, be quite straightforward. Thanks very much again. Podcast Network.